Hello and welcome to the listeners to the new gossip program. I'm with Julia and Sonia. Hi. Hello. So with uh, a Swedish girl and a Russian girl, <laughs> you already know them. They are so funny and they will talk about uh, some gossips that maybe you don't know. And I will talk about some fashion tips you can take in consideration during this uh, new season, spring-summer season. Now I let the word to Julia because uh, she wants to tell us something interesting, maybe? Yes, I have a story about mm, puppy love. Because all of our favorite child star, 15-year-old British actress Millie Bobby Brown, famous for her role as Eleven on the Netflix hit series Stranger Things, is right now finding herself in some dating rumors with another very famous celebrity kid. Back in the end of 2017, rumors were swirling around that Millie and the two-year-older Jacob Sartorius were dating. Jacob, who became famous through lip-syncing on Musical.ly, or what today is called TikTok. I don't know if you guys know what that is. I've heard of it, although I am very old. <laughs> And, but today he's working in music and has released songs like Sweatshirt and Hit or Miss. After a lot of rumors, the couple practically confirmed their relationship when Millie posted a picture to her Instagram back in January 2018, a photo where she was hugging a huge bear with the caption, Thanks for the bear. And within the comments, fans could find a comment posted by Jacob saying, Of course. The childhood sweethearts had a good run until around May of last year when Jacob suddenly started to disappear from Millie's Instagram feed. She deleted photos of the couple together and people were starting to wonder if they were broken up. Actually, rumors say the young couple were dealing with infidelity after it was reported that Jacob was Snapchatting other girls asking for nudes. Yes, nudes. And he's, what, 16? However, even though people claim to have proof, some say it wasn't true and it wasn't ever, well, it hasn't ever been confirmed. The couple were then rumored to be back together, but on the 31st of July 2018, the two took to their Instagrams to confirm the breakup. So Millie uploaded a post to her Insta story saying, and I quote, The decision with Jacob and I was completely mutual. We are both happy and remaining friends. Jacob posted an identical story, of course, changing the name to Millie. But what do you guys think of childhood sweethearts in general? Like, do you think children should be dating? at this age I think that uh, this is the age uh, uh, when you begin to date with someone of course you don't have to take so seriously a relationship because probably you will break up with this, that person but I am not against this kind of relationship I mean for me is kind of word that uh, people are interested about uh, a puppy relation you know yeah puppy I mean? love i think it's a cute puppy, puppy love. love yes thank yes. you very much come on there's like hormones of course the kids want to get to know each other yeah well anyway so for all the millie fans out there they won't need to worry about millie having a broken heart because now she has been linked to another celebrity kid now she's rumored to be dating none other than romeo beckham yep the second oldest son of soccer legend david beckham and pop star turned fashion designer victoria Beckham. Lucky Millie. <laughs> yeah, just as Jacob, Romeo was born in 2002, making him two years older than Millie. These teens met back in 2016 when Millie presented an award at the UNICEF Gala, and on the receiving end was David Beckham, Romeo Beckham's father. As of right now, a source close to the Beckhams revealed that the two young celebs are hanging out. They're in the beginning stages of dating, but they would make a cute couple, don't you guys think? Yes, of course, because I really love her. I mean, I saw Stranger Things and I loved her. And now she's uh, so cute to me. <laughs> and he is, come on, the son of David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, Millie and Romeo yet have to confirm if they are dating or not, but they have been very interactive on social media, for example, liking and commenting on each other's posts on Instagram. Also, it seems they already have Posh's blessings, with the source saying, and I quote, Posh has given it the seal of approval as she is a big fan of Millie's. So just like us, she is a big fan of Millie's. But I mean, come on, it's cute. Puppy love is cute. As you said, or as we guys discussed, that there's... They're, just getting out of their preteens there's the hormones are starting to you know yeah and they want to experience but one thing that i think might be a little bit 
troubling. I mean, don't you guys think it must be hard having your dating life on display like that already as a kid? Because I know a lot of celebrities, they go through that. It's a lot of paparazzi. People are always in their business. But as a kid, I mean, you're more vulnerable when you're a kid and they're still learning. You know what I mean? Yes, I think this is the real world things about uh, this puppy love, not the dating in itself, because uh, it's something that I did when yeah. I was 16, mm-hmm. 16. For me, it's kind of normal. What is not normal is that uh, even if you are 16 and uh, you are dating with a boy, you are under the, the light of the TV. The yeah, the public eye. Yes, yes, under the public eye. Yeah, anyway celebrities are always under such a pressure and here it's I don't know what's going to happen with them no but I mean when you're that age and you're still just learning and you're getting the experience you do so many mistakes like you commit so many mistakes that you might look back on now and you know you'll be like yeah I learned from them but still you were kind of awkward and you did a lot of stupid things but as a kid here they're scrutinized constantly you know what I mean so I think it puts them in a very vulnerable situation that everybody's watching them. Yes, committing they, all these mistakes. They feel like judged. Yes. Yeah, it's not so good for their self-esteem in the future, I mean. What I think is that maybe this move, like their relationships, could be also some, not fraud, but, you know, that's my opinion. Public thing. stunt? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah, it could be, but... <laughs> I don't really know, because David Beckham and Posh, like Victoria Beckham, they've always been pretty private. I mean, I would expect something like this from, like, the Kardashians, but the Beckhams, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, that kind of people. (laughs) They're British, you know, not American. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, girls, we will talk more about gossip after this music break. Welcome back, dear listeners. We were talking about uh, Millie Bobby Brown and Jacob Sartorius. I know that you guys might not know who he is. <laughs> After uh, we talked about uh, Bobby Brown and Beckham, and now we are turning to another topic uh, that uh, involves uh, Emilia Clark health problems. Emilia Clark uh, is famous to be Daenerys Targaryen in the Game of Thrones. And Sonia will talk about Amelia Clark, please. Thank you, Fede. A renowned actress Amelia Clark, in her article to New Yorker magazine, told about her problems with health that she had while filming The Game of Thrones. Now she's 32. She's mostly known for her role of Daenerys in the show The Game of Thrones. By the way, have you watched this TV show? Yes, I am addicted. And I am waiting for the last season. Well, as I revealed in the last week's program, I haven't actually watched it. I watched a few episodes of the first season, but no. Oh, that's right. I haven't watched any of it because I'm afraid to get addicted. <laughs> <laughs> you would. You yeah, would yes. have. Now, Clark revealed that she had serious problems with her health in the beginning of the Game of Thrones story. She'd been given the role of Daenerys in 2011, with almost no professional experience behind her. Hard work meant a lot of pressure on young actors, who, in order to relieve the stress, worked out with a trainer in a gym. She was sure that her condition was well, although from time to time she would have a low blood pressure, but she would think that it was because of her stress. On the morning of February the 11th of 2011, as actress confesses. She was getting dressed in the locker room of a gym in North London when she started to feel a bad headache coming on. She could barely put on her sneakers. When she started her workout, she had to force herself through the first few exercises. I tried to ignore the pain and push through it, but I just couldn't. I had to take a break, Amelia says. Somehow, almost crawling, I made it to the toilet in the locker room. Meanwhile, the pain, shooting, stabbing, was getting worse. At some level, I knew what was happening. My brain was damaged. She was trying to persuade herself to get better, to make her brain believe that she's okay. She said to herself, I will not be paralyzed. And among other things, she tried to recall some lines from Game of Thrones. Suddenly, a woman heard her and tried to help her. By the time Clark started to faint, someone called ambulance and she only could hear the siren. She was taken to the hospital where nurses and doctors couldn't give her any painkiller or drug without getting the diagnosis. And finally, she was sent to get her brain scanned. The diagnosis was quick. She had a hemorrhage 
in her brain, a life-threatening type of stroke caused by bleeding into the space surrounding the brain. She had an aneurysm, an arterial rupture. Well, that doesn't sound so nice. Yes, imagine you are a young actress in your 20s and suddenly you get a stroke yeah. out of nowhere. Mm. She wasn't paying a lot of attention to the symptoms. Because she thought it was stress. Yeah, low blood pressure Yeah, and so on. Later, she learned that about a third of patients with this diagnosis die immediately or soon thereafter. And for those who survive, urgent treatment is required to seal off the aneurysm as there is a very high risk of a second and often fatal bleed. So she had to get an urgent surgery. And even after that, there were no guarantees that she would be, I'm sorry, alive. Aneurysm occurs when part of an artery wall weakens, allowing it to balloon out or widen abnormally. So, dear listeners, take care of your health. And you girls too. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Thank sometimes you. I have to remember it because uh, it often happened to me that I forget uh, maybe my pains or aches and then I discover that uh, it's something I have to take care of. Mm. Thank you, Sonia, for the suggest. However, dear listeners, we are going to take a little break, but we are going to come back soon. Stay tuned. And we are continuing with uh, the topic of heroic Emilia Clark's fight for life. I stopped telling you about her health when she was taken to the hospital. Then she was diagnosed with hemorrhage. The first surgery that she had is known as minimally invasive. They didn't open her skull to solve the problem, so they introduced a wire into one of her legs through the whole Wait, body. what? Yeah. Oh, yes. my God. Okay. So that they didn't have to open her skull, you know. Oh, yeah. okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So the operation lasted three hours, and when she woke, the pain was unbearable. She remembers, yeah, she remembers that she had no idea where she was. The field of her vision was restricted. One night in the hospital, a nurse woke her up and as a part of series of cognitive exercises, she said, what's your name? Her full name is Emilia Isabel Elfemia Rose Clark, something like that. But she couldn't pronounce her own name. She only could say some nonsense, oh, mumble. Oh, God. She suffered from a condition called aphasia. It's inability to comprehend or formulate language. It obviously was a consequence of the trauma mm. of, in her brain. But imagine, she's an actress, right? That's what she needs. Yeah, that's her, her that's whole ability to speak. Job, yeah. yeah. She recalls, in my worst moments, I wanted to pull the plug. I asked the medical staff to let me die. My job, my entire dream of what my life would be, centered on language, on communication. I get her. Thankfully, in a week... Aphasia passed, mm. and she was able to speak again. You know what that reminds me of? It actually reminds me of the movie that she starred in, Me Before You, which also starred Sam Claflin, and it was about him. She was going to be like his caregiver, I think. Yeah. He was in a wheelchair, and he also wanted to die because he couldn't do anything from his wheelchair because he was a very active person during his life, mm -hmm. and then he was in this accident, and he was set in a wheelchair. So it actually reminds me a little bit of the situation with her life. Life, right. I didn't know about that movie, but uh, it's kind of joke of life, don't you think? I guess you could say it's a coincidence, not a coincidence, but it's uh, a bit interesting that she actually starred in a movie where... Yes. Yeah, you could feel this actually similar. I think that of course this is a very bad incident that happened to her, but maybe it will help her to be more emotional in her movies. Maybe so after this first surgery, she after aphasia, she was able to get uh, back on the set and the first season was a huge success as you all know, but you know, what's the price and on the set she was fatigued, exhausted all the time. And she pushed herself to mm. work harder. Before that, in the hospital, they had detected that there is another aneurysm on her in the, on the other side of yeah. the brain. And she had to scan it regularly. So in 2013, she had her brain scanned again. And the doctors saw that the growth doubled in size and needed to be taken care of. So she was immediately hospitalized and they wanted to perform the same kind of minimally invasive surgery, although 
it went wrong. So it was failure. The aneurysm like exploded mm-hmm. and they needed to make an invasive surgery to open her skull. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, after the recovery, she was afraid to have this scar that everybody would see it. Now it's okay, nobody sees it. Bits of her skull even had been replaced by titanium. Imagine. Oh, really? Right, yes. And nobody knew about this. I mean, she hadn't never publicly no, ad- right. admit. Yeah, because she was a strong, she is a strong person. Yeah. But um, now, as she's revealed the truth about her health, I respect her even more. She also decided to organize charity, mm-hmm. which aim is to help people who have to recover from brain surgeries, brain right. injuries. Yeah, and even four days ago, she posted on her Instagram a video about this charity mm-hmm. campaign. Wow. Yeah. Yes, I saw it. And I think she's a very nice person. Yeah. Maybe. And I mean, the story is very, very powerful. I mm-hmm. think I read somewhere that she, or if it was a clip or something, she constantly feared for her life, like every day on yeah. set, she thought she yes. was going to die. Yes, impossible to mm. live with this. But she still went to work and she still did it because that's what she loves. And also, as you said, like, she didn't want to live if she, if she couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of difficult to comprehend the idea mm-hmm. that stars and celebrities and actors, that they are so beautiful and so lively, so healthy. Mm. And it's so difficult to understand and admit that they are also human beings who can suffer from illnesses, diseases, and then can die unexpectedly right. in young age. Yeah, you're right. Because they, they are like gods to us, and when someone dies or when they are sick, it also reminds us about our own mortality. Yes. Actually, I am so sorry for Amelia Clark because uh, I told you I saw all the season of Game of Thrones, and uh, since then I have been loving her. Yeah. And I follow her on Instagram, mm-hmm. and uh, I always see what she posts. Through Instagram, you can kind of understand how is uh, a popular person. And she is so kind, so Mm -hmm. I I am so sorry. Thank you for the story. I hope it was motivating. Yes, (laughs) she is. She is motivating, so yeah. It was motivating, this story. Now we have to have a break and listen to this music. Welcome back, dear listeners. We were talking about a sad story that involves uh, Emilia Clark uh, in healthy problems uh, with uh, her brain, her head. And I feel so sorry for her and I hope that uh, all her fans, me included, will spread their love and support. We are with you, Emilia. But now something more light, <laughs> something that involves uh, Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Do you know the? Mm-hmm. Julia. Yeah, I know what's going on. Julia knows. Uh, actually, I didn't know about this love story because uh, uh, I am not so interested about gossip, <laughs> especially American gossip. But uh, this uh, love story caught my attention because. Uh, Actually, Jennifer Lopez uh, was uh, one of my favorite singers when I was a little child. And Jenny from the block. Jenny from the <laughs> block. Exactly, <laughs> Julia. You caught the point. And so I was just uh, interested to this love story. Actually, after two years they are dating, Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez uh, get engaged. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they <laughs> did. And the couple announced the new via Instagram earlier this month with uh, J-Lo posting a stunning shot of her emerald cut diamond engagement ring. So did it's a diamond see? ring. Yes. Mm. And it's very stunning because I saw that photo on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> very big diamond. It's I a rock. It's a rock on her finger. Yeah. <laughs> However, the pair first met each other at uh, a New York Yankees baseball game when Jennifer Lopez was uh, still married to Mark Anthony, her now ex-husband, of course, and the father to her children. The two meet again 12 years later, turning their acquaintance into a full-blown romance. But I want to make a sort of timeline story of their love story. Mm -hmm. All right, all right. 
In the May the 21st of 2005, and Rodriguez meet again, and Lopez attended a Yankees game at the She Stadium in Queens, New York, with her then-husband, Mark Anthony. At the time, Lopez and, Ro and Rodriguez were both married. Lopez and Anthony tied the knot in 2004 and went on to have two children, Maximilian David and M. Maribel Muniz. Rodriguez married his former spouse, Cinzia Scurtis, in 2002, and the pair had two daughters, Natasha and Ella Rodriguez. Rodriguez divorced from Scurtis in 2008, while Lopez later divorced from Anthony in 2014. On the March the 8th, 2017, Lopez and Rodriguez are confirmed to be dating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On April the 8th, 2017, Lopez posted her first couple's picture on Instagram and after one month, the two are confirmed to be dating. Lopez posted a picture of herself watching a Yankees game in the comfort of a living room her legs resting on what looked to be Rodriguez. And then, on May the 1st, 2017, <laughs> Lopez and Rodriguez make their relationship Instagram official. Actually, there are a lot of news about um, Rodriguez and um, Jennifer Lopez, and you can see all of their love story on Instagram. Actually, what is interesting is that uh, J-Lo is uh, on our fourth marriage. Could you imagine yourself at the fourth marriage, girls? I don't even so think weird. I could I don't even think I could imagine myself in my first marriage, so <laughs> okay. I don't really know. You are a particular case, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> And you, Sonia, could you imagine yourself at the fourth marriage? Fourth? Maybe. Should I have previous three marriages also? No, I cannot imagine myself being in married four times. Being married four times would mean that you would have been married three times before, that you've already been married. Yes, but I mean, don't you think that marriage in itself lose value? Because you are at the fourth marriage, not the fourth relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I get what you mean. Because when you get married, you want to stay with each other forever and you want to build a family and like have a family and everything. But how old is she now? She's 49. 49. Yeah, well... I think, you know, good for her, good for her that she's on her fourth marriage and that she felt like she had found her soulmate in A-Rod. But also, I think it's it's a little bit sad because, for example, when she was married to Mark Anthony, I mean, because every time you get married, you think that this person is the one. And so she must, she must have gone through a lot of heartbreak because she's been married three times before, which means that when she married those people, she thought that they were going to be the love of her life and that th she was going to have a family with them and that she was going to build a life with them. And then that's not the case because that's not how it turned out. So I think it's actually, I think it's good for her, good for her that she's on her fourth marriage and that she feels like maybe finally she's found the one. Actually, is what we up him because... We don't know if uh, he's the real soulmate uh, because you know better than me that uh, he cheated a lot of time his ex-girlfriend mm. and his ex-wife. Mm. Yeah, he's been known for it. After this interesting story about uh, Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez, uh, we have to take a little break, but uh, we are going to be back very soon. Welcome back, dear listeners. We talked about uh, J-Lo and Alex Rodriguez's story. We talked also about Emilia Clarke's uh, diseases. We talked about Millie Bobby Brown. But now Julia is going to talk about uh, one more interesting topic. Yes, okay, maybe the biggest news surfacing around in the US right now is in one way or another connected to the Operation Varsity Blues, which is what US attorney Andrew Lelling described as the largest college admission scam ever prosecuted. And may I say that you must have been living under a rock if you haven't heard about this one. I will give you a hint. It has to do with wealthy, famous parents, bribery, and Ivy League colleges and elite schools. 
So basically, Operation Varsity Blues is the nickname that FBI and authorities have given the college admissions bribery scandal that went public on March 12th of this year. Right now, 33 wealthy and famous parents, including large corporation CEOs, real estate investors, and celebrities are facing charges for allegedly paying large amount of money for their kids to get into elite schools and Ivy League colleges like Yale, Stanford, UCLA, and University of Southern California. Also, nine sports coaches at these top colleges are facing charges for accepting bribes, and we can only expect more arrests in the weeks and months ahead. The scam was actually brought to light and stumbled upon by accident in the context of another investigation, which is still to be revealed, but for now, let's see if we can make sense of this one. Okay, so as of right now, there are 33 wealthy parents charged with different types of crimes, all connected to this scam, including conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud, and illegal actions that include bribery, falsifying athletic profiles, and test scores. So what exactly is it that they've paid for? Well, these parents have paid between 15,000 US dollars and 6.5 million US dollars to game the system that is the college admissions. Some of them took advantage of the ACTs and the SATs testing policies by getting their kids labeled with learning disabilities that they do not have in order to give them extra time to take the tests so that they could be put in a separate location where they had people in place to help these privileged kids take the tests, sometimes physically taking the test for them or to receive the test after and correct the answers. I don't know what to say about this because, uh, I mean, it's happened o- only in Italy and uh, I think that happens all over the world, but mm. it's always a scandal to me. Uh, yeah. It's uh, unacceptable. Right, but I have more. So there is not only the part with the cheating, the standardized test, but also bribing college sports coaches within the smaller athletic programs such as tennis, crew and lacrosse. And these sports are often overlooked and not as scrutinized, like, for example, football and basketball. So basically, top college coaches within these smaller athletic programs have been accepting bribes to promote and recruit these privileged kids onto their teams and sports they don't even know in order to get the kids accepted to this specific college. Basically, presenting students as top athletes in sports they've never played. There has even been a case where a student's face was photoshopped onto an athlete's body. So, I mean, it isn't uncommon that rich parents often donate money or buildings to colleges in order to get their kids a head start. But, I mean, in those cases, at least the other students can enjoy and take part of the donation or bribe if you wish those kids aren't exactly guaranteed a spot so whereas these kids straight up cheated and the money ended up in individual people's pockets and I mean the schools allegedly didn't know anything so what's your opinion what do you think maybe you want your children study uh, in the college and it's okay maybe you can donate a building or money in order to well not guarantee your children a spot but to get their kids ahead at the same time I don't really think that it's fair to do that to the system because there's a lot of disadvantaged kids that are smart and clever and deserve spots at these schools but yeah yes of course uh, to me this is okay until the point uh, you take rich people only because of their donation and you take apart the other children because maybe they don't have the same possibility the same money possibility of yeah, course right so behind every master plan there is a mastermind and in this case his name is William Singer also called Rick Singer because obviously these rich people didn't manipulate the system all by themselves the allegations against him include money laundering helping students cheat on standardized tests bribing coaches for fake credentials and faking academic scores. He has pled guilty to the charges against him in exchange for his cooperation with the investigation, basically selling out all of his rich clients because this guy was the guy that the parents paid and he has been making approximately 25 million US dollars in total. So they paid and he provided a different solution for every parent, which is also the reason why all the parents are charged with different types of crimes. So how this all went down was through Rick Singer's not so non-profiting organization, The Key Foundation. According to The Key's website, their mission is to provide guidance, encouragement, and opportunity to disadvantaged students around the world. Well, that's just ironic because in reality, it was the rich and famous who had the advantage. The parents donated money to the non-profiting Key Foundation and Rick Singer provided them with a guaranteed admission to whatever college these parents wanted their kid to be accepted to. And he claims he has helped close to 800 families. Now, that's a schemer, all right. To me, continue to be uh, unacceptable. I mean, you cheat in order to get your diploma or but uh, I want yeah I mean if the kid isn't good enough to go to that college then the kid shouldn't go to that college I'm sorry but that's the truth yes you are right I completely agree with you but I want to know more about this topic after this musical break
Here we are, dear listeners, again in the studio with Julia and Sonia. And Julia was talking about uh, some facts uh, that involve private school. I want to know more about uh, this topic. Please, Julia. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, amongst the list of parents involved in the scheme, we can find actresses Lori Loughlin and Felicity Huffman. They and their children have sort of become the big faces of the scandal. But before we jump into those stories, I would first like to talk about some of the people on the receiving side. First up, 52-year-old Gordon Ernst, which as of right now is the coach of the women's tennis team at University of Rhode Island, though he has been put off until further notice after the scandal went public. He is also known for have being Michelle Obama's and the daughters Sasha and Malia's personal tennis instructor. But his schemes aren't actually connected to University of Rhode Island, but the previous school where he coached, Georgetown. He allegedly made almost 1 million US dollars during the time he worked there, involving in illegal actions like accepting bribes to promote students as potential tennis recruits for Georgetown, even though these kids couldn't even swing a tennis racket. Another person making money off of the scam was Mark Riddle, a Harvard alumnus who graduated from Harvard back in 2004. He, who was working with preparing students for college entrance exams, legally would be brought in by Rick Singer and take the tests for students with the aspirations but not the scores to gain admission to the top schools illegally. And Mark Riddle would always deliver high scores on the standardized tests, obviously resulting in the students getting excellent scores without even having to take the test themselves. Yeah, and so next up, some bribers. As I said before, there are 33 parents charged in this scam as of right now, and not so surprisingly, the main focus landed on the famous actresses Lori Loughlin and Felicity Huffman, because it's Hollywood after all. So Lori Loughlin is most known for her role as Aunt Becky in the 19th sitcom Full House. In later years, she found her niche with the Hallmark Channel, starring in several of the channel's TV movies, such as the movie franchise Garage Sales Mystery, for which she was also the executive producer. She also starred in the channel's holiday movie, And Lachlan is married to designer Massimo Gionali, which is famous for his brand Massimo, the clothing brand which could be found at Target and was one of the store's most popular exclusive brands for years until they parted ways back in 2017. Lori and Massimo allegedly paid a total of 500,000 US dollars to have their two daughters, 20-year-old Isabella Rose and 19-year-old Olivia Jade, labeled as recruits to the USC crew team, even though none of them actually can row. Their youngest daughter, Olivia Jade, has also become a front face of the scandal since she already had a platform with a lot of followers as a YouTuber with exclusive partnerships including Sephora and Tresemme. Following the scandal, Sephora and Tresemme ended their partnership with Olivia Jade and the Hallmark Channel dropped Lori. After being taken into custody by the FBI, Lori and Mosimo was released after posting a $1 million dollar bail but are still set to face the charges during trial and could possibly be facing jail time. Felicity Huffman's bail, however, was a little bit more modest. The Oscar-nominated actress is well known for her role as Lynette Scavo in ABC's Desperate Housewives, where she was actually my favorite out of all the wives. The series is centered on suburban housewives with many dark secrets, not totally unlike Hoffman herself. Felicity Huffman is married to 69-year-old William H. Macy, who is also an acclaimed actor, and together they have the daughters Sophia Grace, who is 18, and Georgia Grace, who is 17. William H. Macy hasn't actually been charged, since facts state that he only talked to Rick Singer about their youngest daughter, Georgia Grace, but no money was ever transferred. For Felicity, however, the FBI raided her house and showed up with guns drawn at 6 a.m. in the morning and taking her into custody. She allegedly paid 15,000 US dollars to have their eldest daughter Sophia Grace's SAT scores corrected by an SAT administrator. She was released on a $2,500 bail, but is also facing court time and if found guilty, maybe even jail time. For some of the parents involved, the crimes are punishable up to 20 years in prison. What do you think about... Uh popular people involved in these scandals? First of all, they're just they're people just like anybody else, right? So, of course, they they commit mistakes, but what these parents have done is illegal. I think it's wrong. It's I mean, it's straight up wrong because they are using the influence that they have and also, I mean, the wealth and the money to commit a crime and That's to buy their way in, and I don't think it's I don't think it's the right way to go. No. That's the point because every time I heard about this kind of scandals I try to ask myself is this because of the richness or maybe it's just something that you could make because you are human and mm. not because of your popularity 
and your richness. Yeah, right, right. I mean, there's plenty of celebrities that didn't pay for their children to go to expensive elite colleges. But at the same time, I mean, they're fooling the system here. And I think it's good that the FBI is taking this so seriously and that the government is taking it so seriously and they're going to be prosecuted or at least they're going to go to trial. And as I said, some of these crimes are punishable up to 20 years in prison. And I mean, probably they will be able to buy their way out of jail, but at least, I mean, it's been brought to the attention of the public and people know. You are a popular person person and you give some uh, you set an example yes uh, you are an example to to people and if you behave like this it's not only about your imaging but it's also about uh, society because uh, society maybe it's like to be allowed to have some kind of behaves because uh, you are their example so obviously this scandal has also resulted in a lot of reactions and many are angry over the fact that these parents and kids took away opportunities from other hard-working students and athletes which i can definitely agree with But supposedly, the students are not the only victims. First of all, investigators say most of the children involved in this scandal had no idea what was going on and what their parents were doing. Obviously, not all of them. I mean, Olivia Jade and Isabella Rose must have known that something was up when they were being recruited for the crew team, even though they can't even row. But yeah, some of these children were also shocked when news broke. Also, the schools were taken advantage of in a way because allegedly the schools didn't know about the bribes and cheating since the whole process went through individual people. So also the money that was paid wasn't benefiting the university programs or the schools at all. Actually, different authorities are defending the elite schools. So basically, the schools are also suffering because their credibility is taking a hit and the scandal is damaging their reputation. Yes, this was the next thing I would have said to you mm -hmm, because mm. Uh, it's, it's not only about the the stars, but uh, also about the credibility of the colleges. Yeah, I mean. right, right. I mean, of course, within this, I think the schools also have to look at themselves and ask, like, how did this happen? Because, I mean, I think a big part of the problem is that there is not a lot of oversight with these smaller athletic programs. Like, for example, basketball and American football, they're, they're huge sports and they're very scrutinized. But these smaller athletic programs like lacrosse and tennis and crew, there's not a lot of oversight with these programs. And so, for example, the coaches was given so much space and because of that they could also go through with these bribes yeah and actually I think that uh, there are negative consequences also for the children yes who are not able to follow that school because it's too difficult and maybe they can feel like stupid or yeah right right absolutely not uh, suitable for that school so I mean it's not good no only for the name not not good so Yeah, don't don't cheat on your standardized tests, guys, and don't buy your way into university or college. Get in on your own. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I want to tell that uh, it's not about the school, it's not about the university. Maybe you will be able to do something better in another field. So yeah, right. Don't be scared or don't be afraid about your score in in the school because you don't know what you are good in. Okay, guys, after this philosophy, now just a little break. We will be back soon. Welcome back in the studio, dear listeners. Now we are going to deal about uh, another topic. It's up to Sonia. Thank you, Federica. The act, a new series on Hulu with Joey King and Patricia Arquette, premieres March 19th. The plot is based on a true story about mother Didi Blanchard and her daughter Gypsy. The story that shocked the whole U.S. happened in 2015 when a very diseased Gypsy who suffered from multiple illnesses including cancer and muscular dystrophy together with her boyfriend killed her mother. Gypsy Rose Blanchard was carefully watched over by her mother, but was Didi ultimately doing more harm than good? Gypsy was born in Louisiana on July 27th in 1991. Her father, Rod, divorced her mother, Didi, before she was born. When Gypsy was an infant, Didi brought her to the hospital, convinced she was suffering from sleep apnea. Despite no sign of the disease, Didi remained convinced, eventually determining herself that Gypsy Rose had an unspecified chromosomal disorder. From then on, she watched her daughter like a hawk, fearing disaster could strike at any moment. When Gypsy Rose was around eight years old, she fell off of her grandfather's motorcycle. Didi immediately took her to the hospital, where she was treated for a minor abrasion to her knee, but Didi was unconvinced. The accident, she said, had obviously resulted in something much worse, 
and Gypsy Rose would need several surgeries if she ever hoped to walk again. Until then, she decided Gypsy would remain in a wheelchair. Dee Dee moved out of her parents' house as soon as they began to question Gypsy's condition, finding a rundown apartment and living on disability checks she collected from Gypsy's illness. After taking her daughter to a hospital in New Orleans, she claimed that on top of her chromosomal disorder and muscular dystrophy, Gypsy Rose was now suffering from hearing and vision problems. Additionally, she claimed Gypsy had begun to suffer from seizures, while the test showed no signs of any of the ailments Dee claimed her daughter had. They nonetheless prescribed her with anti-seizure medication and generic pain meds. Gypsy says, I thought I was paralyzed from the waist down. She also said I had cancer and she would shave off my hair and tell me, it's going to fall out anyway, so let's keep it nice and neat. She said I couldn't eat and needed a feeding tube, so I had formula through a feeding tube and also received medication through a feeding tube. Didi even convinced surgeons to operate on her daughter. I had my glands removed because my mother said that I drooled. I had the feeding tube placement in my tummy. I had multiple eye surgeries on right and left eye, Gypsy adds. Ear surgeries, muscle biopsy to find out why my legs didn't work, a surgery to make me not throw up anymore. I believed I had all these illnesses, except I knew that I could walk and I knew that I could eat. After Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana in 2005, Didi and Gypsy showed up at a Covington, Louisiana special needs shelter, claiming Gypsy's medical records had been destroyed in the flood. Their heartbreaking story caught the attention of local media and charities. In 2008, they relocated to Springfield, where Habitat for Humanity Special Fund built the displaced family a customized wheelchair ramp. The two became something of a pair of celebrities acting as champions for the rights of the disabled and the sick. Meanwhile, the press they received through the various foundations attracted the attention of doctors nationwide. Before long, specialists were reaching out to DD and Gypsy Rose to see if there was anything they could do. One of these doctors, a neurologist from Springfield, offered to see her at, this, at his clinic. And while there, however, he discovered something startling. Not only did Gypsy not have muscular dystrophy, she didn't have anything else that Didi claimed she had. I don't see any reason why she doesn't walk, he told Didi. When Didi brushed him off, he began to make calls to doctors in New Orleans. Though Didi claimed the hurricane had washed away all of Gypsy's records, the doctor was able to find doctors whose records had survived. After talking to them and confirming once again that Gypsy was a healthy child, he began to suspect that the real illness may lie with the mother, Didi. When Gypsy discovered her own Medicaid card, she began to question her mother. The card said, I was born in 1991, recalls Gypsy, not 1995, like she'd claimed and told me. So I was actually 19 at the time, not 15. Gypsy claims that her mother wouldn't let her speak during doctor's visits and told her if she ever tried to escape, police wouldn't believe her story. She even alleges Didi physically abused her, chaining her to the bed and hitting her with coat hangers. One night, Gypsy showed up at the neighbor's door, standing on her own two feet, begging for a ride to a hospital. Didi had quickly intervened and explained the whole thing away, a talent she had cultivated over the years, lying to all the people around. Any time that Gypsy began to stray, become independent, or suggest that she was anything but a small, innocent child suffering from a deadly illness, Didi would step in and explain that Gypsy's mind was addled by disease. She'd say that she was mentally challenged, or that the drugs had rendered it impossible for her to know what she was talking about. After that incident with a neighbor, Gypsy began using the internet after Didi went to bed to meet men in online chat rooms because she wanted to have a boyfriend. Though her mother chained her to her bed and threatened to smash her fingers with a hammer when she found out, Gypsy continued to chat with the men, hoping one of them could save her. Actually, this is the most disturbing story <laughs> I ever heard, for real. I don't know what you think about girls, but uh, I want to know about your opinions after this musical break. We are back talking about Gypsy's and Didi's story. Gypsy started looking for a man on internet, for a man who could help her. And finally, in 2012, she secretly met a 24-year-old Nicholas Godjohn on a Christian singles site. She consulted him about escaping from her mother. Me and Nick were talking one night and he said, 
that he would do anything to protect me, and I asked him, anything? And he said, yeah, Gypsy says in a Discovery special. From anybody? I asked. He said, yeah, even my mom? Yes. And that's when this kind of plan started to develop of a murder plot. Go John had a criminal record and a history of mental illness, though neither of those dissuaded Gypsy. A few months after meeting, Nicholas Gaudjong came to visit Gypsy and they began to plan Didi's murder. Gypsy Rose Blanchard had been waiting for someone to come along and save her, and Nicholas seemed just the one to do it. Through Facebook messages, they planned how they would kill Didi. Then, one night in mid-June 2015, it was done. While she was sleeping, Nicholas stabbed Didi in bed while Gypsy listened at the door. After she was dead, the two fled. Police, police discovered Didi's body four days later. Gaojong had stabbed her wife her, with a knife multiple times in the back and slashed her across the back of her neck. The next day, police ascended on his house in Wisconsin, where the couple was hiding out, and arrested them. Gypsy says, We thought we would never get caught. I felt like this is a fairy tale and I was going to be the princess that got rescued. But... What started as a fairy tale ended as a horror movie. Now, psychiatrists say that Didi most likely had Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a condition where a caregiver fabricates health problems of their charges with the intent to gain sympathy and attention. If a person fakes their own illness, it's simply Munchausen syndrome, but when the symptoms are induced in others, it's called Munchausen by proxy. And I also heard that, because she went to jail, right? Gypsy Rose Blanchard, but that she is feeling much better and she's happier now in jail than she ever was before because she feels f more free now I even though she's in jail. Yeah. Also because if someone lets you believe that you are always sick, maybe you became sick, but mentally. Yeah, yeah, right. But as you said also, Sonia, she knew that she could walk and she knew that she could eat. But I saw an interview and she said, I thought that I had leukemia because my mom told me that I had leukemia, but I knew I could walk. But it was like after a motorcycle accident that her mom told her that she had to sit in a wheelchair and that she was going to sit in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Actually, I can't imagine how can it be to be a mother and pretend to your daughter every mm. time that she is sick. I mean, every and parent. for everybody else, and for ev everybody else. But I mean, you are a mother, and uh, you are supposed to want uh, every time the the best for your family members. I don't know how can it can it be possible. Yeah, well, in this case, it was because she was sick. Didi had well, Munchausen by proxy syndrome, so it's a disease. But still, it's it's sick. It's frightening, actually. Yes, it's disturbing. Mm. A disturbing story to me. <laughs> Gypsy was sentenced to 10 years in prison for second-degree mm -hmm. murder, and now it's been three years, I think, that since she's in prison. Gaojong had been sentenced to life in prison because he was the murderer. Yeah. Gypsy says, There are some times that I'm angry at her. There are times I think she's so manipulative, and how could you do that to a child? And then I think about other times. She was just so desperate for somebody to love her. Regardless of all of that, I still love her and I still miss her because she was my mother. Um. Yeah, I get it's a it's a very complicated. Like I get Gypsy Rose. I mean, it's very very complicated for her because actually her mom was basically the only person that she knew. She didn't have like any other friends oh, or yeah, because her mother restricted her, didn't let her to have friends. Yeah, right. Yeah. I saw a documentary about Gypsy, and I really like this kind of stuff. I don't know why, about <laughs> mental illnesses yeah. and crazy. I hope I will be able to get Hulu subscription mm -hmm. and watch the series. Actually, uh, it's also interesting how Didi could uh, also convince all the, the doctors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. Uh, you have you are supposed to be very manipulative to convince mm. the doctors about mm. the disease yeah. of your child yeah I but that's the thing also that there was a doctor that realized that gypsy rose wasn't actually sick but then what she did like didi she just brushed him off and they switched doctors because someone was getting on her trail no i don't have words 
describe <laughs> her behavior. No, yeah, because she was a sick person. Yeah, yes, and also and also some people suspect that she could, uh, you know, make this for just to get money, just to get um, house. Yeah, right. Because people made a lot of donations yeah. and stuff. Yes, yes. Mm. I think now we have to make a break. Mm. Then we'll start with some lighter topic. Welcome back, dear listeners. We are going to talk about uh, some trends and uh, I will suggest uh, some trends tips uh, for the new spring-summer season. First of all, I want to talk about uh, a new trend that involves men, actually, <laughs> and uh, is the, the pink mania. Mm. Do you know, girls, about this pink mania? No, but I'm guessing you're going to tell us. Yes. Actually, uh, designers and stars uh, in the last uh, years prefer pink. Millennial pink is absolutely the third millennium's colors, but uh, the 2019 will pass to the history as the year in which uh, 50 shades and more of pink entered men's wardrobe. God save pink, we have to say. <laughs> What's Elvis Presley, Barba Papa and Kanye West has in common? The color pink. Yes, <laughs> of course. Passion for pink. Because Elvis wanted his first album had his name in pink, written in pink. Mm -hmm. And his Cadillac was a strawberry color and passed to the history because of this. And Barba Papa during the 70s remind to population that pink is not only for girls and Kayani West has made their Ralph Lauren polo iconic. So now from your own many brands propose men in pink from head to feet like uh, Porsche Tuxedo, smoking, uh, flamingo colors, bubblegum, pastel pink, uh, for the sneakers, sweater, urban suite, most of all for rapper and trappers. Mm. And in the last month, pop stars and actors of every age appeared in the red carpets with details like Jason Momoa, Alex Rodriguez, mm -hmm. <laughs> Harry Styles and Justin Bieber. Since Maria Antonietta of Versailles in the 18th century pink has spread in the wardrobes of the ladies and gentlemen this is because i want to explain why pink is so common now this nuance wasn't lent to a feminine word in that period and was genderless or more male because came from the red that is associated to the war And during the 50s, pink started to be associated to women. With Barbie, introduced in, in that period, began the girl pinkfication era that ended in the third millennium. And I have to add, luckily, because uh, I am <laughs> not so a pink lover. I mean, not that kind of pink of Barbie that's it's like uh, a baby. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's pink and sparkly. Yeah. Yes. Just a little weird. Mm. I don't know. I don't like it. Some years has passed since pink was introduced in men's wardrobe and now is increasingly worn from men. According to the Vanity Fair, we should start to wear in pink because it's very Instagrammable <laughs> and give brightness to all the skin. It's romantic and charming at the same time and give us relax and good mood and last but not least it's democratic yeah well that's true so girls we have to start to wear in pink i don't think my friend here close to me will wear in pink moreover sonia because uh, i don't no i never see colors <laughs> <laughs> on her <laughs> but actually i always wear in black too mm -hmm. i have one pink t-shirt it's like dirty pink but i like it and you know i never uh, liked pink myself i always thought it's uh, some girlish to childish color and yes i can understand but, but now as i'm getting older and i'm more in involved in the feminist discourse I find pink a sign of me being a woman and I want to absorb it and I want to embrace it as a 
part of the culture, you know. Yes, I know what you mean. Actually, I have only one sweater that you girls yeah. have seen because it's a very sparkling pink, <laughs> I think. And uh, this is the only thing I have in pink. But I think I have uh, other tips to give you and stay tuned, guys. We are going to finish this gossip program. We were talking about some tips uh, for this spring-summer season 2019. And I was talking about pink, that uh, now is more male and not so female. And I want to talk about uh, other tips. I want to give you some suggest to be so cool this season. For example, I know, according to Vanity Fair, that pearls are so fashion. The pearl this spring is the unexpected detail. You can find it on a pair of jeans, for example, or on hair clips and shoes. Pearls, whether it is a choker or a pair of earrings, fit well with everything. But with a casual look like a white shirt and jeans and with something more elegant like a little black dress or a twin set. The reason is simple. They illuminate and give the outfit a timeless touch. For the spring-summer season, however, pearls are to be worn as accessories as decor elements for glasses, bags or handbags to embellish fancy garments such as bustier or a bra. And interestingly, this theme variation also appears to the more alternative girls who definitely do not feel comfortable playing good ladies. So I will suggest you to wear some pearls because you are so alternative. <laughs> Let yourself be conquered by a showy and unexpected details, dear listeners. It is valid for a pair of shoes or for hair barrettes, super in season in this season. I, I don't know if you listeners uh, or you girls in the studio follow Chiara Ferragni in the Instagram. Nope. She is a, uh, an Italian influencer. She's famous all over the world, mm. um, especially uh, in Los Angeles. Oh, really? In, yes, in the States. She was wearing uh, uh, hair clips with uh, some pearls and uh, actually she gave me the ideas to suggest the pearls as uh, the seasonal detail. Yeah. And all, aren't they also not so modest now this season? Because, I mean, pearls have been, I mean, pearls are timeless. So usually you have like a little pearl in as an earring or... Uh, yes. and, and stuff like that but they become they're not as modest now as they were before yes they are uh, yes you are right they are more expressive and uh, you know fashion tend to exaggerate everything you know? <laughs> and so you can see pearls everything as mm. I told you uh, you can see even in sleeves uh, bra uh, it's so uh, weird mm -hmm. I don't know actually I think it It's not only word, but uh, also sometimes elegant. However, I want to talk about um, another dress that is very common for our wardrobe, that is blazer. Blazer mm -hmm. never came out of our closets, but if until yesterday we wore it with a jeans, a shirt, Here, for the spring, it becomes autonomous, an ideal substitute for mini dresses, for a sexy, daring and celebrity look approved. To show off your legs well, this is what spring's fashion suggests to us. They can perform, for example, wearing cyclists back in vogue. Did you see the cyclists? That kind of pants oh, that are the, for yeah, cyclists. Yeah, yeah. They are back in, in vogue. Bike shorts, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, I don't know if I have to be happy because they are <laughs> they are comfortable actually. Yes, yes. But, but I don't think they are so cool. <laughs> I don't think they should be high fashion because there's nothing high fashion about bike shorts. No, exactly. <laughs> However, they are in vogue and you can wear it with a blazer. And the latest trend among fashion gurus is more elegant, posh and sophisticated. Wear a jacket, preferably 
a rigorous bla blazer like a mini mini dress. Perhaps uh, we have to admit it, it's not suitable for all of them. But for those with longer slender legs, forget to wear a skirt, a pair of shorts or a dress. And go out wearing only the jacket, but well buttoned. It's very hot. <laughs> <laughs> Now some tips to wear the, the blazer, because uh, I told you, not everybody can wear it. First of all, buy an already over model of, of his own. Or if you prefer to be wider, opt for one larger size. The double-breasted jacket is much better. And then play styling. The stars show that the spectrum of possible combination with accessories is very broad. Beautiful variant, for example, of Black Lively, completely with white shirt, bow tie and decolleté nuance. The total black by Alexa Chung and the Czech print model by Gigi Adid, Adid sported with uh, jeweled metallic shoes uh, with four details. Do you want to cover a little more? All you have to do is uh, to choose models embellished with the fringe or lace insert. And then if you don't want to wear all the time the blazer, of course you can wear pants under your blazer. And then during the evening you can just take off your pants and opt for uh, bare legs or wrap in a pair of tights, like a magic game. Thank you very much, dear listeners. Uh, um, being with us uh, in this program and uh, we will wait for you for the next program always on Thursday from 10 to 12 bye 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 <laughs>